Listen to this poem for a minute. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and cool dry air. It was fall, oh, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow, the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, (laughs) but oh, it, it, it was spring I wanted. The warmth of the blossoming of nature. I was a child. Oh, but it was adulthood that I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged. Oh, but it was 20 I wanted. (laughs) The youth and the free spirit. I was retired. Oh, but it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without limitation. My life is over, and I never got what I wanted. Probably every one of us can identify with this poem at some level, in some stages of our lives. I think every one of us can identify with this. I think every one of us got hit somehow by this spirit of discontentment. Don't get me wrong. Not all discontentment is bad. There is good side to discontentment. It is discontentment with your prayer life that causes you to do something about it. It is discontentment about the level of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ that causes you to reorder your priorities. It is discontentment with the level of your faithfulness with the Lord that compels you to rethink your motives in life. But there is also a dark side to discontentment. The dark side of discontentment is found in the Ten Commandments, and particularly the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment, Exodus chapter 20. What does God call this dark side of discontentment? God calls this dark side of discontentment, he calls it covetousness. Covetousness. Covetousness is not a word that we often use. It's not part of our everyday language today. But covetousness is simply that craving for what somebody else has. If I only get what they have, I'll be happy. Covetousness is the craving of somebody else's circumstances. If I were her, if I were him, I would be happy. Covetousness is the craving of what somebody else is. If I were him, if I were her. Covetousness is that longing that says, if only, if only, if only. I want to tell you a few things about covetousness before I start preaching, okay? Covetousness is always always short-sighted. Always short-sighted. Covetousness can never see the big picture, is unable to see the big picture. Covetousness is always concerning itself with the immediate needs. I'm not dismissing the immediate needs. Covetousness is always anxious for instant gratification. Covetousness will always make you be an ungrateful and unthankful person throughout life. 
no matter what you have. It always causes you pouting in life. You, know, you might not do it physically, but you do it on the, on the inside. Pouting. Feeling sorry for yourself. Full of self-pity and unhappy. That's what covetousness does. Listen to what God said. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his manservant or maidservant. Or his ox or his donkey. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I know some of you probably thinking, I'm off the hook. Because I have never coveted my neighbor's donkey. I don't want his stinking donkey. <laughs> Remind me of the dead donkey that was found in front of a funeral parlor. And the funeral director got on the phone and called the city council. And he said, I got a dead donkey in front of my building. And the city council said, well, you're a funeral parlor. You can take care of it. He said, I will. I just wanted first to inform the first of kin. Looks <laughs> <laughs> at God knew that there's going to be some smart person in the 21st century who's going to say, I did not covet anybody's donkey or anybody's ox. And God wanted to close that loop. You know how he did it? The last sentence in the 10th commandment, he said, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That closes all loopholes. Some commentators, bless their hearts, said that the 10th commandment is really superfluous. Everything that needed to be said has already been said in the first nine. This 10th commandment is just an anticlimax. It's really just summarizing what everything else has already been said. They were wrong. In fact, they missed the whole point. Because I can tell you that the 10th commandment truly stands, it towers above all the other nine. The 10th commandment stands in distinction to the rest of the nine. The Tenth Commandment is very different from the first nine. The Tenth Commandment is clearly distinguished, and I'm going to show you how. Because it deals with the matter of the heart. It deals with the matter of the heart. The other first nine commandments, they openly condemn outward actions. In fact, it's only Jesus who explained to us that there are inward desires that causes that outward breaking of the commandment. It was only Jesus who explained to us the difference between the root and the fruit, as we have been seeing throughout the series of messages. It was only Jesus who was telling us to guard against our inward thoughts that trigger the outward action, and that we need to take care of that. But without Jesus' warning, if you lived in the Old Testament and you have just the commandments and you do not have Jesus' explanation, you're going to see that the first nine are all to do with outward action. Every one of them. Do not make idols. Do not work on the Sabbath. Do not kill innocent people. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery, etc., etc. They all begin from the outside and they work their way on the inside of us. What distinguishes the 10th commandment from the other nine is this. Listen carefully. What distinguishes the 10th commandment is that it begins from the inside and works its way out. What do I mean by that? Hear me right on this one. I could be the most covetous person 
on the face of the earth. And nobody, nobody will know it. You know, throughout the series of messages, I've been up front with you. I don't like to play that super Christian and super sanctimonious stuff. I confess to you up front, I'm not that kind of preacher who stands here pointing his finger. But I can tell you truthfully before God and before all who know me, that is not an area of my trouble. I've never coveted any man's or anybody's things. That's God's work. But I want to tell you to listen to me very carefully because I am going to give you some more explanations as I go along. I could be secretly the most covetous person on the face of the earth, and nobody will know it. The dearest and the nearest to me will not know it. It can be. And you know what else? So are you. Every one of us can be. And that is why the Tenth Commandment makes explicit what the other nine implied. The Tenth Commandment spells out what God is really after. You say, what does God want from me? What is God really after here? I can tell you exactly what He's after. And that is why He comes in with the Tenth Commandment. What God is after, not just outward obedience, but inward obedience. That's what He's looking for. He's looking for inward obedience. I want to make a statement. I want you to listen to it very carefully. Outward obedience is very dangerous. The reason churches are full of Pharisees and legalists is because they're focusing on the outward obedience, not inward obedience. Outward obedience only can be disastrous. And that is why God has to seal His Ten Commandments with the last one, talking about inward obedience. Without the Tenth Commandment, we could easily, all of us, be tempted to become like the Pharisees. We could focus on outward obedience, but our hearts are far from God. And then we become hypocrites like they were. And that's why Jesus condemned them so much. If you read the Gospels, you say, why is he so hard on the Pharisees? Because he saw that all they're concerned about is outward obedience, not inward obedience. Then he said to them, he said, you're like a, a tomb. And you know, in the Middle East, they build beautiful buildings for tombs. And they paint it every now and again. And they look so good on the outside, but inside there are dead corpses. Rotten on the inside. Beautiful on the outside. And that's not what God is after. And that is why when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, now Jesus, I, 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 how do I inherit eternal life? How do I make it to heaven? And Jesus knew exactly Everything about this man, he knew that he's breaking the Tenth Commandment over and over and over. And he looks at him with those piercing eyes and he said, well, keep the commandments. Now, Jesus knew that nobody can keep the commandments. Without the power of God, nobody can keep the commandments. And the guy said, oh, yeah, I've done this. That's a piece of cake. I mean, I've done that. I kept these commandments. I never killed anybody. Never saw. And Jesus said, okay, well, let me go to the Tenth Commandment. And he goes straight into the 10th commandment and he said, well, go out and give all that you have and then come and follow me. I said, oh, no way, Jose. What are you talking about? He said, you kept the commandments. You're breaking the 10th one over and over and over in your heart. You see, that's why Jesus condemned the hypocrisy so much. And that is why only Jesus can deliver us from sin. And that is why only Jesus can empower us to obey him outwardly and inwardly. That's why only the Holy Spirit of God can empower us 
to keep the commandments. Anybody without God can say, I keep the Ten Commandments. They're basically lying through their teeth. Or they just don't understand. Without the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we could never keep and obey any of the Ten Commandments. But do you know that it's out of love and out of compassion and out of grace and out of mercy that God gave us all of the Ten Commandments? But more specifically, it's out of love and out of compassion and out of mercy and out of His grace that He gave us the Tenth Commandment. Do you know why? Two reasons is what I call them the CDs. I'm going to give you two CDs to take home with you. And I don't want you to just play those CDs in your mind today. I want you to play those CDs in your mind for the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of your life. Two CDs. Here's the first CD. Covetousness is deceptive. Covetousness is deceptive. You see the CD? Did you get that? It's too clever for you? I mean... I never think of myself smart, but I just kind of, I see you looking at me and I say, what is he talking about? Okay. That's the first CD. Covetousness is deceptive. Secondly, contentment is delightful. Contentment is delightful. This is the second CD. It, because God knew and God knows that covetousness is deceptive, that he told us and he gave us the 10th commandment. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke Chapter 12, verse 15. Listen carefully. Here's what Jesus said. Watch out. Listen, when Jesus says watch out, you better watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, beloved friends, I want to tell you something. This is totally contrary to every fiber of our culture. And I want to tell you something else. If believers really believe the words of Jesus, I promise you, they would radically change their lifestyle. They would radically reorder their priorities. They would radically change so many of their choices. Marketers spend billions and billions of dollars and untold hours. Let me tell you something. I know these guys work hard. And if you're in the marketing business, please forgive me. I don't mean to step on your toes, but I want to tell you about the philosophy of it, not the working out of it, because there's good marketing and there's bad marketing. But most marketers spend untold millions and they spend untold hours working hard for one purpose. Do you know what it is? They're working hard for one purpose and one purpose only. And it is to make you feel unhappy. They really do. That's the purpose for which they work. They want you to feel unhappy. They want to make you unhappy and discontented. Unhappy with who you are. Unhappy with the way you look. Unhappy with what you have. Unhappy with what you do. They really do. And they want you to feel miserable and unhappy until you buy whatever they're selling you. So you buy whatever it is that you think is going to make you happy. Wait a few weeks, a few months. Has it made you happy? No. No way. I give you a rule of thumb. If your value is dependent on your title, if your value is dependent on your net worth, if your value is dependent on what you wear, If your value is dependent on where you live, if your value is dependent on what you drive, I want to tell you right now, take it from me, it will never, never, never bring you contentment. 
Because if your values are wrapped up in these things, listen to me, if your values are wrapped up in these things, I can assure you there's always something better. There's always something newer. There's always something nicer. There's always someone better. There's always someone more successful. There's always someone more attractive. There's always someone richer. There's always someone. That is why covetousness is deceptive. It's deceptive. If you play this comparison game, as a lot of people do, it's a sad game, you'll be in a constant misery. Here's what Paul said. That they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. They are not wise. Walking around with a a measuring tape and saying, well, you know, he, she is more successful. (laughs) There are plenty of them. If you're going to see how much success, more successful somebody else. If you, you're trying to measure and see some, how more articulate somebody else than you are. If you're going to measure and see how more intellectual somebody else than you are. If somebody more wealthy than you or somebody more beautiful than you or somebody more popular than you. If you go around with that measuring tape, let me assure you, it will make you miserable every time. It will make you unhappy every day. Now I want to tell you something else that I have learned about The deceptiveness of covetousness. Covetousness has very little to do with what you have. It has nothing to do, in fact, with what you have. Not many years ago, I was in the presence of a man who's a billionaire in a third world country. And think about this, a billionaire in a third world country, and I'm talking about billions of dollars in U.S. standards, (laughs) in a third world country. I tell you, I walked out of there... I, I, couldn't, I nearly wanted to weep because he was the most miserable man I've ever met in my life. By the same token, I've met people who barely have enough for anything, and yet they are rejoicing in the Lord every day. It has nothing to do with what you have. Let me tell you something else. Single people, listen to me. Single folks, if you are unhappy as a single person, and think that marriage is going to bring you happiness, you are deceived, my friend. You really are. If you are not satisfied with who you are, if you're not contented within your own situation, if you're not fulfilled in who you are in Jesus Christ, changes in your circumstances are not your ticket to your joyland. Covetousness is deceptive. Here's a second CD. Contentment is delightful. Contentment is delightful. Here are the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.11. He said, I have learned to be contented with every circumstances. And I want to read you, actually, J.B. Phillips' paraphrasing of that verse, okay? Here's what J.B. Phillips paraphrased the verse. He said, I know now how to live when things are difficult, and I know how to live when things are prosperous. In general and in particular, I have learned the secret of facing either plenty or poverty. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. I was thinking about how contentment operates. And God somehow has a sense of humor. And he always kind of teaches me firsthand. He knows I'm a little thick and I got to get it, you know, somehow in my head. And I already thought about what I'm going to say. Then something happened just last week. I was driving my car in peace, singing, glad none of you were in the car. 
and singing, and I was joyful. And somebody cut in front of me. <laughs> and I lost my joy. And here's what I think about contentment. Here you are going along life's highway. And you're going and everything seems to be fine. The sun is shining. Sky is blue and everything is just fine. And then you hit a roadblock. And whatever your roadblock might be, and everybody's roadblock might be different from the other. Somebody thinks, well, theirs is worse than the other. But look, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's big for you. Whether it is health roadblock, whether it is relationship roadblock, whether it's financial roadblock, whatever it might be, it's, it's a roadblock for you. There are two ways to react to that. Let me give you first the reaction of the person who had been enrolled in the school of contentment, of which the Apostle Paul said he learned. I honestly cannot say that. I can say that I am learning, that I'm progressing, that I've come a long way. I don't think I could say, maybe toward the end of my life I could say that, you know, that I've learned. Here's the reaction of a person who's going through the school of contentment. He's going to see this as an opportunity for double blessing. And he say, wow, there's an opportunity here. Two blessings. Number one, blessing number one. I'm going to see it as an opportunity to practice trusting God afresh. I'm going to see it as an opportunity to see God use this roadblock for His glory and for my good. Blessing number two, you're going to say, I'm going to see this as an opportunity for God to show me once again that He and He alone can fill the empty void in my life. Listen to what Hebrews 13.5 said. Be contented with whatever you have. Why? Because He will never leave you nor forsake you. For those who have not begun to enroll in the school of contentment, I can tell you, you don't have to tell me if I'm right or wrong. You figure it out at home. But I can promise you, this is what's going on in your life right now. You say, how do you know that? Oh, that will be a, a secret between the two of us. Here's what you're doing. You're going around, 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 around. You're going to keep going like the children of Israel. Oh, I'm getting dizzy. But listen, the children of Israel, when they got out of Egypt, they refused to learn this lesson. The Paul said, I've learned. So what, for 40 years? <laughs> Went around, around, and around, 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 looking at the same stinking brushes and rocks and sand and over and over and over and over again. It's like the guy who was complaining for not getting the promotion. He said, I have 25 years experience. And his boss said, no, you don't. You have one year's experience repeated 25 times. <laughs> I often tell folks when they come and talk to me, and I said, look, do not waste your pain. Do not waste your suffering. Do not waste it. Do not just say, get me out of it, God, so I can get on to the next. No, 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 no. Say, teach me, Lord. I want to learn the lesson. I want to say with the Apostle Paul that I've learned. But you know what those words of Paul tell me? It tells me that the Apostle Paul was not a contented fellow by nature, that he had to learn it. It tells me that Paul was not patient by nature. He had to learn it, and that brings me a lot of comfort. <laughs> that through the painful and the crushing experiences in his life, he began to learn that contentment is delightful, and that contentment delights itself in trusting God. In fact, one of some of my favorite verses, the ones immediately before chapter 4, in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, 
And I truly can say those words with the Apostle Paul. Here's what he said. He said, so many things I thought were really important. But now I have learned this lesson of contentment. Now that I have my eyes fixed on the prize, they have become rubbish. (laughs) And some of you are saying, well, Michael, 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 do you mean to tell me that success and seeking success is wrong? Somebody's saying, well, Michael is preaching a sermon and he's saying that success is wrong and you shouldn't go after success. (laughs) Read my lips. I did not say that. I believe with all my heart, God wants you to be successful. I believe that with every fiber of my being. God wants you to be successful. I am not preaching that at all. Listen to me. But I'm going to tell you something else. That if success is your only aim in life, I can tell you with certainty, I can tell you from my first-hand experience, that when you get there, you will not be contented. You will not be contented. I can testify to you. And I know in my own life, the closer I walk with the Lord, the more I'm able to experience contentment in the midst of turmoil. You say, is it easy? No. Is it easier? Yes. See, once you're enrolled in the school, it gets easier. I tell folks I worked harder in my first year in seminary than I worked for my entire PhD program. (laughs) You see, as you grow and you mature, it gets easier. Never easy, but it gets easier. But the one thing I want to tell you is this. For you and me to experience contentment When there is smooth sailing is one thing. But to experience contentment when the waters are rough, when the going is tough, when the wind is blowing in your face is a whole different experience. And today you can begin to move from covetousness to contentment. Today you can begin enrolling in the school of contentment. Psalm 73 has been an enormous comfort to me through the years. If you've never read Psalm 73, I urge you just read it several times, not just once. And every time you read it, you're going to unpack something new. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing to me. And I have done what the author of the psalm has done. Many times I cried out to God with the age-old question, God, why are the wicked seem to be prospering and the righteous are suffering? And that's the question that this worship leader in the temple, Asaph, who was appointed by David to lead worship in the temple, it's the very question that he asked God. He said, God, if the wicked seem to be healthy and wealthy and free from pain and powerful and have no problems, that means that I've wasted my godliness. Then he begins to see things from God's perspective. Not from, by his own eyes, but from God's perspective. And when he sees the eternal torment of the wicked, when he sees the eternal agony of the wicked, when he sees the eternal horror that the very people that he was coveting are going to be going through, he repents on his face before God. And he said, Lord, I was like a donkey in the state of of covetousness. 
it's Semitic language. When somebody says I was like a donkey, it's, a, it's really an illustration that because a donkey is a creature whose only concern is for the moment, that he can see only in a very short distance. And so Asaph said, I was like a donkey, the way I was behaving. And beloved, I want to tell you, when you move from covetousness to contentment, when you move from worldly thinking to godly thinking, God will bless you in double portion because contentment is delightful and it delights itself in God. Father, this is your word and it is committed to your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit authored this, these words and your Holy Spirit is working in us. And therefore, he alone can take those simple words and imprint them deep into our hearts, deep in our minds, deep on the seats of our wills. Only he can change us. And therefore, we commit ourselves afresh. Teach us to move from covetousness to contentment. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.